is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. All right. I'm really excited on the podcast today. I have my friend Caroline Jester. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. This is exciting because we actually know each other in real <laughs> life. A lot of times I have podcast guests that I have just met on the internet, but we took our friendship from Facebook to real life. Yep. (laughs) So Caroline, I always like to get started. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in fitness. Have you always been an athlete really into sports? What did it look like? So I feel like they're kind of, in my experience, there are kind of two people that work in the fitness industry. There are people that were always athletic and were good at sports and in good shape, and they just kind of took that in a career. And then there's people on the opposite end of the spectrum that were um, not athletic, not involved in sports. And that's kind of where I was. So while I did a lot of sports as a kid, just because my parents put me in a lot of activities, I was really the worst athlete. Uh, My mom tells me that when I played basketball um, on like a recreational league my goal was to make a single basket in a game so that gives you an idea (laughs) um but I was a pretty like nerdy kid and I was really involved in music and um I had a lot of eating issues from kind of a young age I I realized that in retrospect but I was kind of active as I was in sports and then eventually I quit sports because I hated practice and I hated the pressure and like everything about it um and I wanted to focus more on music, which is what I eventually eventually went to school for. So once I quit sports, combined with my eating issues and some other things that were going on with like mental health, I just gained a lot of weight and I developed a lot of like really bad food issues. So by the time I was in college, um, I, my BMI was technically in the obese range. Uh, I was really, really out of shape to the point where like sitting in rehearsals to play my instrument for what I was supposed to be doing was painful. Like I had really bad back pain. Um, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I w- uh, college, excuse me, I went home for like a routine doctor's appointment. And my doctor told me that I was pre-diabetic and I needed to make some really serious changes. Uh, that really freaked me out because I was only 19 at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, I really don't want to develop like a chronic health condition right now. It was something that never occurred to me. So that um, experience really sparked motivation for me to change. So uh, it's not like I hadn't tried to lose weight or get in shape before, but it just never really stuck. And I always felt that it was really hopeless. And I thought there's just no way that I'll ever have any success. So I would just give up or I would tell myself really ridiculous promises or make these outrageous plans that weren't realistic and I wouldn't stick with them. But this time I made like kind of a more step-by-step plan. I happened to have better exposure to like different people in the fitness industry that were a little more um, like sane in their messaging. Um, and I started to see success. So as I was still in music school and I was go losing weight and getting in better shape, I was spending more and more time reading about nutrition and fitness. And I just got really interested in the subject, really passionate. I had this like deep curiosity and I was constantly looking up people and, oh, they mentioned this person. Maybe I should check their stuff out. Maybe I should watch their videos. And I was just spending a lot of time, um, looking at fitness stuff basically. So I reached my goal weight and then I developed some other further eating issues, which maybe we can talk about Mm -hmm. later. But, um, so it's been kind of an up and down since then, but, but at a certain point, my mom said to me, you know, you could get certified as a personal trainer to have a part-time job while you're doing your music stuff, while you're trying to take auditions. And so I did that. Um, I took a certification class and then I started training in my last year uh, of college. I started training classmates. 
people kind of knew at that time that I had gotten in shape and I was always posting fitness stuff on Facebook. And so I basically put feelers out and I was like, Hey, if anybody wants to train with me, I'm trying to be a personal trainer. And I worked with quite a few people, um, on my own independently for about six months, all classmates and friends of mine. Then I moved, uh, I moved to California for grad school, uh, for music. And I was, I got a job training uh, part-time at 24 hour fitness. Mm -hmm. And then I decided that I wanted to leave music and I was like, well, what am I going to do now? It made perfect sense for me to just transition into fitness full-time because I I already had experience doing it. I was clearly really passionate about it. So then when I eventually moved back to Chicago, I, uh, got a full-time training job, eventually also started training people online. And so uh, I'm in my 2020, I'll be my seventh year working in the fitness industry. So that's so funny. Like to think about yourself as a little kid to think where you are now that this would yeah. have been, like, no, I'm not doing that. No, never in a million years would younger me have imagined that I would be a personal trainer. <laughs> no mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So you said that you, um, you were trying to lose weight maybe during high school or like the beginning of college, but things never stuck. It didn't make sense. It wasn't sustainable. Can you go in a little bit? Like what were the things that you tried and what was the thing that did make sense? Sure. So a lot of my earlier motivation was really like shame based. So maybe, I mean, I got bullied a lot as like a young kid. So I would feel bad about myself for that. And then when I was, before I quit athletics, I was on swim team and like, there's a whole lot of, um, body image stuff that goes on with a girl's high school swim team, as I'm sure you can imagine. So I like some incident would trigger me to feel bad about myself. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm just like going to eat really little, I mean, really eating disordered kind of thoughts. Like I'm going to restrict really heavily. Uh, I'm not going to eat this type of food. I'm going to exercise really hardcore. And I mean, I was like, I was a high school kid, like none of that stuff ever stuck. And because I didn't realize how ridiculous it was, I didn't know there was a better way. I just thought, oh, I'm doomed to never have success. So combined with the motivation from the health scare, I happened to stumble across a blog of like an acquaintance of mine, like her aunt or something. It was a really random connection, but the woman had a cooking blog and it was geared toward helping people lose weight sustainably. And I remember she had a list of like 10 things that she did. Um, And for some reason, her steps kind of clicked to me. They were a little bit more moderate. Like there was no talk of removing entire groups of food. It was more about like monitoring overall portion sizes. it was really the first time that I'd heard anyone talk about being more mindful about eating, like actually paying more attention and slowing down. Um, and then I did, I actually did use counting calories quite a lot. It was really helpful for me because as someone who'd been overweight for so long and had such like really unhealthy eating habits, really disordered ways of thinking about food, I really had no idea like how much I was eating. So for me, um, logging was helpful because I was like, okay, here's what an appropriate portion looks like for me. Like I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So adopting like some more sustainable and like logging practices, um, not subscribing to, um, an approach that was like really, really restrictive, understanding that I could pretty much eat what I wanted, but that certain foods would help me better, would make me feel more full, things like that. Um, and then just like patience and understanding that I wasn't going to have results right away. I needed to kind of keep checking that box. But if I did that, that I would have progress over the long term. So I was really thinking like, okay, six months from now, where am I going to be if I do these things? Not like, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible about myself today. Mm-hmm. I want to see progress by next week. Like mm-hmm. I realized that that wasn't the way that it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to highlight something that you said, and that was um, the like 
disordered eating or eating disorder thoughts or actions with food. And I think that a lot of times we think like it's only someone who's like in a really small frail body that could have like disordered, uh, like habits with food, but it can be someone who's in a larger body. And just because you're in a larger body doesn't mean you like that you should be eating 1200 calories or that you should like, Oh, do this thing and be super restrictive to get to, um, that, that goal weight, like that's not going to work and it's really, really unhealthy. And again, it won't work. It won't work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, two things that you said there, first of all, like one of the things that I do with my own clients is, uh, where's everybody's so quick to jump to like the most hardcore extreme thing that they can do when in reality, what a better approach is just to do what I call the minimum effective dose. So like, okay, you're, let's say you're eating like, I don't know, 3000 calories a day. We don't need to jump right to 1200 calories unless there's some like really extreme medical issue, which is not my clients anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, how can we do just a little bit better? So we see some progress. And then when things start to slow, how can we do a little bit more? Like that's a much more sustainable way to approach things than like right away trying to do the most strict, most demanding thing, because it's just not realistic for most of us. Um, and then in my time going through like eating disorder recovery and things like that, I, every, people are all shapes and sizes. I can tell you that like you would go, um, I went to some 12 step meetings for eating disorders anonymous and you see people that look like all shapes and sizes, all different, like, um, ages, different, um, like financial situations. So really nobody is immune to this stuff. It really affects a pretty wide mm -hmm. part of the population, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love that what you said that, what is it? Minimum effective dose? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not my phrase. I definitely stole it from someone else, but I think it's a really good concept. No. Yeah. It makes sense. I like to relate things to like a classroom and kids learning how to read. And it's like, you wouldn't give a five-year-old, a five-year-old has so much that they need to learn in order to like become a reader. You don't give them Harry Potter on day one. Yeah. You give them like this really easy book that they can actually do um, and gain that success and like, Oh, okay, I can do this. Like this is possible for me to become a reader. But as adults, we're like, no, nope, we should start with Harry Potter on day one. If, if I don't, if I can't do Harry Potter, then it must mean I'm, I can't be a reader. I will never lose weight or I will never get fit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are so many steps that had to happen between the way that I was eating before and, and the me that I, the way that I eat now, like in addition to just, monitoring portions like i had no idea how to cook i didn't know how to grocery shop there were so many little steps that needed to happen along the way and if i had tried to force myself into um the habits of someone that was a lot more advanced it just would never have worked mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um so one of the things that we've talked about this in person of uh when we look at kind of maybe maybe it's the group of people that we know online but we all pretty much eat the same or very, very similar. Uh, Carolyn and I had lunch a couple of times at the cooking spot and I was like, oh, that looks like something I would eat. Or, and I had something <laughs> like, oh, I would eat that too. Um, can you share a little bit, like, what does your day look like when you? Yeah. So there are a couple of principles that are really helpful for me. The first is that um, I kind of eat the same things a lot of the time. Um, the second principle will expand on this a little, but so like I pretty much have maybe two different breakfast uh, options that I cycle between and maybe two or three lunches and I eat them pretty much the same every day. Now, 
how do I make things a little more interesting? I use the second principle that I call a meal template. So like to give you an example, I, I eat a salad most days of lunch, but it's not the same exact salad with the same things in it. The salad is prepared the same way every time, but maybe one day I use salmon, one day I use chicken, one day I use some sort of leftovers from dinner, and then I put whatever vegetables I have in. So the template allows me to keep it fresh so I don't get bored. And then to get a little more variety, I, I tend to cycle my dinners. But, but keeping things really simple and not trying to reinvent the wheel every time I eat is really helpful because I'm really busy. I mean, now is a little different. I have more time to cook. But um, when I was working like in the gym, I was basically pre-preparing all my meals. And if I had to like follow a complicated recipe every time, I wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, I like to eat uh, meals that have protein, um, always like lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. I try to make that the star of the meal. Um, I tend to do better when I eat more carbs. So I tend to eat like rice and potatoes and oatmeal and things like that. And I tend to eat a little less like cheese and avocados. That's just personal preference, but every meal definitely has, um, I mean, this goes right to your philosophy. Every yeah. meal has protein, has plants. Um, I try to follow those templates that I like and I, I try to just keep things really simple. Yeah. 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 And it, but that's the funny thing is that like, if you looked at what you ate or what I ate or what Jen ate or like, or even Jill, like it's all very similar. And it comes down to that. Like, do you have vegetables? Do you have protein? And then there's like some other stuff that goes with it, whether that's carbs yeah. or, fat or whatever it is. Yeah. And like to, to also go off um, one of your things, I definitely am not afraid to eat like processed foods and things like that. Like one thing that I do is um, my boyfriend and I buy these Milka bars at the store and like after dinner, we'll eat like one or two squares of a bar, which in the past I'd never would have been able to do that. Um, so you just want like a little bit of chocolate and that's not to say I couldn't eat more if I didn't want to, but like, that's one thing that we do. Um, I drink a lot of diet pop. I know some people don't think that's a good thing to do, but I do it. So I give myself the flexibility to not be so rigid, yeah. but mo most of what I eat just kind of is, falls into those basic frameworks that I already mentioned. Yeah. Well, how did you get to that place that you could have a chocolate square or two without having 17 bars of chocolate? So um, it definitely took practice um, for me. So my, uh, I had a, like a, a lot of experience with binge eating disorder. So for a long time, I really did have to like have those foods out of the house or I would eat all of them. Um, while I worked on some other things, like a lot of the more mental, emotional things that go along with that. And then once that stuff was a little more under control, I, um, I, I my boyfriend's kind of a great eater because he, he eats like that naturally, which is amazing to me. So I, I watched him and I was like, okay, maybe I could try it. And I like trusted myself to just have a couple of squares and see how it went. And maybe some days that made me, that triggered a bunch of cravings. That was fine. I learned from it. But over time I was like, okay, like I can always have more chocolate if I want to. Um, just practicing eating a little bit and like doing that repeatedly and realizing it's not the end of the world. And like, I'm not always going to want to dive face first into like all the rest of the chocolate we have in the house. So I think just like, um, knowing yourself, maybe you do need to create a little bit of space at first so yeah. you can address some other stuff. Um, and then just practicing and like trusting and seeing you, I mean, so much of developing healthy eating habits, especially if you have a long history of, um, disordered eating or just like not eating particularly well for your body or whatever is just experimenting. Like you'll never know if you don't, you don't try, you have to be a little brave sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's huge. And I think the, the part you said too, that like that there were times that you messed up, like you were practicing it and you did mess up and maybe eat a couple of bars of chocolate that like, okay, that doesn't feel so good. 
uh, and being okay that like part of trusting yourself is there, there are going to be times you mess up, Mm -hmm. which is scary, but you can't really avoid that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, how do you, so when you work with clients, uh, you work with clients online and in person when (laughs) we can do in-person stuff, right? What does it usually look like when you're working with clients? So, um, there are a few groups of clients that I work with. The first group are people that want to lose weight. Um, I mean, that's my personal experience and people can relate to that. Um, versus like someone who's, I mean, not that anyone can't be a great coach, but I think maybe it's a little more accessible to someone that's kind of been through the struggle versus someone who never struggled with it. Um, they tend to be clients who've tried a lot of stuff already. Like they've already done Weight Watchers or they've done um, the keto diet or they've done a whole 30 and it's just, they realize that it doesn't work for them. So I try to help them build habits that are more realistic, basically, um, more sustainable. So, uh, with fat loss clients, we definitely talk a lot about nutrition. And then, um, I do, I mean, training is the, um, like cornerstone of my business. So with all of my clients, uh, we really focus on getting strong and like building confidence. Um, not necessarily setting a world record for like, I don't know, most jacked or like biggest bench press or things like that. But I, I really try to work to individualize programs so clients can feel strong and like progress on their own terms. So in addition to weight loss clients, I also work with a lot of people that have some sort of like pain or injury. Um, maybe they're like runners who kind of mess up their knees, which I know we'll talk more about later. Yeah. <laughs> um, or people that are like a little bit post rehabilitation, like they had a shoulder surgery and now they want to get back to working out. Um, I've had clients that were pretty young that like threw, threw out their back doing CrossFit, things like that. So I want to help people realize that like with strength training, there's almost always something that you can do, something that you can do to train around an injury so that you can feel strong. And so you can like move well in your daily life basically. So, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fat loss clients, a lot of people that are trying to get strong despite like pain and limitations and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's jump in and talk more about runners and and that's a big thing. I was actually, one of my clients today was talking about like wanting to get back into running. Um, but especially it's this weird thing. Like, she's like, well, we're not in a rush. And I feel that too. It's like reminding ourselves, like, we're not in a rush because we're going to be home for a while. But also th- that existed before we were staying at home. Like we didn't have to be in a rush while we were at work, but now yeah. it's this realization of like, oh, I don't have to be like couch to 5k. I don't have to be at a 5k in eight weeks. I don't have to, or for myself, like I shouldn't be running right now. Um, and I am like, well, there's no races, so don't push yourself. But it could have been like, well, maybe there were races and it doesn't matter. Like go what your body needs. So you have, you might have clients that come to you that have like knee issues because of running. What, uh, what do you usually see happen and what do you usually help clients with if that's their issue? Yeah. Um, I definitely have thoughts on that, but yeah, I, I agree. I think actually one of the blessings of quarantine, I mean, there are a lot of, I don't mean to diminish the struggles or anything, but I think one of the blessings is that it's kind of forcing everyone to like slow down a little yeah. bit and like take some of this like time stress away from a lot of goals. Like we, we don't really know when we'll be able to do something or maybe something's really extended. So I think that's really helpful, especially with, with running. Um, so a lot. I mean, running is great because you don't need any equipment, right? Like it's nice. You want to get outside, you want to get moving. It feels good. But I think a lot of people jump into running, um, without laying the groundwork to make sure they're not going to hurt themselves because the like popular fitness culture feeds us this idea that everybody should be able to run and that it's like the gold standard of fitness and whatnot. But the reality is you need some certain things like in place to stay safe. So 
if you are, have never run before at all, and especially if you are a little bit overweight or you have pre-existing joint issues, like your back bothers you, your knees bother you, I definitely think you need to um, be doing some kind of resistance or strength training along with your running. Uh, I get a lot of new runners that are just running every day or, or three or four times a week and they're not doing anything else. And they're just like, I, I'm not a running coach, so I can't speak too much to mechanics, but like the, their lack of strength and like they haven't built up support in their, their joints and their tendons and things like that combined with bad running technique is causing them to hurt. So I definitely recommend if you're going to be running that you should also be doing some kind of resistance training, like at minimum two times a week. Now I'm not saying you have to train for a full hour. You definitely don't need a gym, which most of us don't have right now anyway, <laughs> but you should be doing something and it should be targeted uh, to help support your running. Um, another issue that I see is like maybe people are lifting, but they're like, okay, I'm going to train my legs. So they do squats, lunges, leg extensions. Well, You've done a whole lot of work for the front side of your legs, which tend to be stronger and more tight anyway, especially for runners. You haven't done anything for the back side of your legs, so your knees are really going to feel that. So I think, first of all, making sure you're doing the resistance training. Second of all, it can't just be like every random leg exercise that you know. It should be targeted more to support your running, and that means doing more stuff for the glutes and hamstrings specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about like when you start a running plan, it's like the day after your long run, it'll usually say cross train. And usually you're like, well, that's optional. That's not really part of running. That's not, uh, I mean, I'm doing running and cross training is just like that thing. And then I had this running coach, uh, Jason Fitzgerald on, and he, he was like, no, like, he's like, I don't call my clients runners. I call them endurance athletes who specialize in running because that if you're an endurance athlete, you have to do stuff besides just running and you have to do like, you have to cross train and it's not optional. Like you need to do this to keep yourself safe. Otherwise you're spending thousands of dollars or you can't run anymore. You cannot run right. anymore at all. So can you give us a, a few ideas? So everyone knows lunges and squats, but you said that talking about like the backside of your legs, um, what things could you do for your hamstrings and glutes? Yes. So there are two main, I guess, three main categories that you can think of. Um, the first would be working on your hip hinge. So when I teach, when I meet with a new client, I have them go through an assessment. We always do some kind of squat first. Everybody knows what a squat is. It's just like sitting in a chair, right? Fewer people know about hip hinging or know how to do it correctly. So if you're familiar with deadlifting, a good deadlift is what a hip hinge is. So some people's deadlifts a little more questionable, but we want to be able to essentially bend our hips as much as possible without rounding our back. So we're really loading the backside of our legs. So the first thing that I want people to be able to do is just to be able to execute a basic hip hinge. Um, and I have a lot of drills that I use to take clients through this process, but eventually we're going to be working toward a movement like a Romanian deadlift where you're starting tall, you're reaching your hips back into the hinge and standing up or a deadlift from the floor where you're actually picking up a weight from the floor. Um, some of these things, actually a lot of them can be done with bands uh, right now. Like if people don't have weights at home or can't go to the gym, um, eventually it's my, actually probably my favorite exercise for runners is a single leg deadlift, uh, which is the same thing, but on one leg. Um, unfortunately, it's a little more advanced. So if you're just getting into strength training or your balance isn't great, um, it takes a while to get to that point. But if you are able to do that, that's probably my number one go-to. Um, so hinging exercises are first. So basically any kind of deadlift, good morning, something like that. Second would be leg curls. Uh, so now we're specifically training more of the hamstrings. 
Um, at a gym, you can use machines, but you don't need them. If you're at home, you can use towels or furniture sliders to do leg curls. If you have one of those big Swiss balls, the big exercise balls, you can use those for leg curls. Um, but those are really going to help support your knees as you run as well. Um, and again, you can do single leg too. Like there's all kinds of little ways you can tweak this stuff. The last category would be more like glute dominant exercises. So things like glute bridges and hip thrusts, um, again, with and without weight using different training techniques. Um, those are really easy to do at home. Glute bridge, you don't need anything, but the floor, uh, hip thrust, you can do with a couch or a sturdy chair. So, um, if I was a runner, I would be looking over the course of my training week and making sure I'm doing at least some hinging, some leg curls and some sort of like glute bridge or hip thrusts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For like a, like a practical thing. So we were kind of talking about lacking motivation because we're home and everything feels really hard. Um, we're at home and it feels hard yeah. and we have nowhere to go. How do you like from a practical standpoint, like how do you start including these things if they're things that you've never done before? You so my, in terms of like getting motivated to train at home, the, the biggest piece of advice I have is to just ritualize it and make it like as much a part of your routine as you can. So, uh, one of the best ways to do that, if possible, is just to have a certain time of day be your workout time. So like for me, um, I'm kind of on my own schedule. My boyfriend's working from home on like a normal nine to five. So when he's done with work, then we work out together. So maybe you always go for your runs already a certain time of day, like two or three days a week. Okay, some other days of the week at the same time is when you're gonna do your cross training. So I think that's helpful. Um, definitely like having some sort of a plan before you start is helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's working with a coach or even like just sitting down yourself and writing down what you're yep. going to do because nothing is more demotivating than like, okay, I'm all ready to work out. And like, well, I don't know what to do. And like, yep. that's a problem at the gym. When you walk in, you don't have a plan. It's even worse at home because there's a million distractions are already there. So I think like planning your cross training or strength training, like when you're already running, I think it's really helpful if possible. Um, and then I think like having some sort of a plan for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's kind of like one well, thinking with the plan, just having it written down, it's like your, your template for eating. So I talk about this, like if you find yourself being able to do something like finding success in something, how can you apply that success to like the thing you're struggling with? So like Absolutely. You have your meal plan template of how you plan your meals and your salads or whatever. So having that template in your head can help you. Like how can you apply that template to cross training. You don't want to do it. You've never done it before. You've never been successful with being consistent with it before. Um, so you're saying like, do it at the same time as you do running. You're successful at running, do cross training at the same time and then write down what it is you're going to do. Yeah. 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 When I, years ago, when I first started lifting weights, I was like, I had no, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, but even then I had, I had note cards, like you'd have for a speech and over the course of like two note cards, I'd written down like all the muscles in the body. So I knew when I went in on day A, I was going to do this half and day B, I was going to do that half. And even like something as rudimentary as that is helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, but just in general for people, like an easy way to, to think about this is like, um, Every week you want to do some squatting. You want to do some stuff for the back of your legs. If you're a runner, maybe you want to do um, all three of those groups I mentioned. And then you want to do an upper body push and upper body pull. That's pretty well-rounded. So if you have two workouts, one workout you do your squat, your upper body pull. The other workout you do the back of the legs stuff and you do your push. Like there, I think that keeping it really simple and yeah. looking at the week as a whole and just saying, okay, I want to make sure I get all these things, um, just writing them down. It doesn't need to be complicated. 
Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm reading a book right now that's talking about plans and they're like the, uh, they have, they're like, we have this checklist and the number one, like success or like the, the best outcomes that people have have to do with execution. If they actually do the thing and they go through the simple checklist and do it, if you actually do these things, then you have success. And it's really simple. It's not this like, it's not fancy. It doesn't change, but it's like, are you actually doing it? If you're actually doing it, then you'll see the success. If you're not doing it, then you won't see the success. And it was like, it was like a light bulb. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Just doing the thing. We'll see. You'll see success. Definitely. And there, I mean, if you're the kind of person who does, like, there are all kinds of strategies that you can use. Like one of my coaches has said he has a calendar, like a wall calendar. And every day that he um, eats, you know, according to whatever his eating plan is, he does one side of an X and every day he works out, he does the other side. And then at the end of the month, you want to see mostly X's, right? Instead of just a slash. Um, I use an app on my phone. It's called Streaks. It's just a habit tracker. So you can literally put anything in there. Like, I think I have like brush my teeth twice a day or, or something on there and you just track it. And over time you can see how consistent you were. And all you have to do is go in and like check the box. And you can also set things to only do them like two or three times a week. So whatever it takes for you to, to stay consistent. I think. Yeah, no, now I'm, I'm just seeing more of like, like, like success leaves clues. And it's like these things that are very common and like similar between us. Cause I have my like uh, 365 habit tracker and I use it with clients for um, taking a walk or doing a workout or journaling or whatever. But I myself use it for washing my face because I, my skin was terrible. And it was like, you don't, Jacqueline, you don't need to buy this fancy skincare system. You just need to effing wash your face every night and take the makeup off. Yep. You don't take your makeup off every night. You're going, there's dirt. Like that's how your face keeps breaking out. And so just having that tracker in my bathroom and coloring the little square. And there's some nights where I'm like, I don't want to wash my face. And then I'm like, but the tracker's there. I'm like, okay, it takes 90 seconds mm-hmm. to wash your face, Jacqueline. Like just wash your face and color the square. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you keep it like, it's very satisfying too, right? To color in the square and check the thing off. And then like, once you racked up a big streak, like sometimes on those days, you don't want to do something. You'll just do it anyway. Cause like, you don't want to break your streak, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which actually that's a big thing. So what, so that is a hard thing for people though. If they do break that streak, they're like, Oh, I've messed up. What advice do you have if that happens? So I've definitely been guilty of this like so many times, especially with food. Um, I've definitely gotten in a place where like one quote unquote bad day led to like a really bad, you know, week or month or something yeah. like that. And I think like we, I mean, the human brain is wired to bias negativity over positivity. So we do something bad and we really latch onto it and we think that like we're a failure. It's the end of the world. And in reality, like small setbacks, even big, like even big setbacks, like that stuff can all be overcome. Um, if you just take the step in the other direction. So I think it's Mm -hmm. so much of that is just really down to like the way that you talk to yourself and, um, and perspective. But yeah, I mean, when you, when you catch yourself saying like, Oh, I'm a failure, like I might as well give up, like creating, like recognizing that thought before it gets really out of control. Um, and then, and asking yourself, like, is that really true? Do I know it to be true? Like, is this just um, like an old lie or an old story that I'm telling myself? Um, And then not like thanking, you know, acknowledging that the thought's there, maybe thanking the thought 
you know, for trying to protect you or something and then making a yeah. different action. It's, it's not really like an easy solution to that. Yeah. Like I, it's something that I struggle with a lot, but yeah. I think mo almost all of the time, actually probably all of the time, it's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never like the end, like as long as you're still alive, like you can always, yeah. you can always change and improve things. Um, so I think the more you can interrupt that talk and, and make different choices, like you'll start to realize that more and it doesn't have as much power over you, but it takes, it takes time. It's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, with food, like it, it takes practice and also you're going, you're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. But in hearing you talk, we've read, we've read the same books, I'm sure. What, what books do you recommend on these topics? So um, a book I really like is Atomic Habits. I know you're yeah. reading it right now. I actually yeah. gave it as a Christmas present to like all of my clients this yep. year because I loved it so much. Um, but I, I think that uh, like it really demystifies habit change. Um, a book I read years ago that was also pretty good is The Power of Habit, which also kind of talks about this concept of the habit loop where there's something that triggers an action. And if you can identify the trigger, you can change the action and you can break a bad habit. That's another good one. Um, I'm blanking on others now, but I know there are a lot. I'm, I really love reading about like habit change and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it demystifies it and it it also like I feel like it it humanizes it too because I feel like the author in Atomic Habits so I'm reading it right now so I have my morning crew with my clients and we're reading it in there 10 minutes a day just like our workout just short 10 minutes just 10 minutes not reading the whole book 10 minutes um but like he's like like I've messed these things up and this is why like that and it just humanized it like oh right like even this really successful author has messed up and that's why he's writing about this. Like he's coming yeah. from a place that he's the same as us. I think it's like, if with any goal, it's really important to find people who've like kind of been through it, especially people who've been through like the struggle and like the really bad parts. So like, that's where a community or that's why people go to 12 step meetings. That's why people work with a coach or do group training and things like that, because you see, okay, somebody else like has been there and they're, they went through it. Like it makes it you you like you believe it's possible for yourself more so like if if the, all the people that you're following are like really shiny and perfect and like they never admit mistakes or like it's not really um you don't really connect with it like that's not very helpful for you I think finding something more human is really important mm -hmm. yeah definitely that's yeah um I can relate to that like I feel like I have in people that I've worked with like uh as coaches they've been my coach it's the things that they've messed up and been honest about that I connect with them on. It's not them being like, well, look at my perfect body and my perfect life, my perfect husband, my perfect kids. It's the, mm -hmm. hey, here's this thing I used to mess up and here's how I figured it out. It's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is possible. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, cool. So what is, can you give some more tips on working out from home and what has worked for you? Um, so a lot of people, I, someone just messaged me before I got on here and she was like, you know, I'm really struggling with like DVDs and like, I don't actually want to do the DVDs or I don't have the weights cause I used to just go to my group training program and I don't have these things. Um, all of these things, the, the, the group motivation that you had at your gym has been taken away and the equipment has been taken away. What, like what suggestions do you have and what has worked for you at your home during this time? So I think, um, I, so I've been sending out like home workouts to individualized programs for my current clients. And I also have a workout for home club where I'm just sending out, um, like kind of a group workout cool. for people. And 
it's forced me to be a little bit creative, but it's also been encouraging because I was also a person that like only worked out at the gym and most of my clients only worked at the gym. And so when it closed, I was like, man, what are we going to do? But I have good news for everybody. There is a lot of, even with zero equipment at all, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. So, um, the first thing that I recommend like is again, figure out what's the motivation hang up for you. Like, do you need to make it part of your routine? Like, do you need to work out with someone in your household if that's possible? Like get a workout buddy. Um, if you really miss like the community of the gym, like there are group things going on. There's stuff that you can join. You just may have to do a little research or, or ask people that, you know, like there's zoom training sessions and, um, Facebook live training sessions and things like that. But um, I think that's more important than like the individual, like what that people are doing. It's just getting into the habit again um, in terms of stuff to do. So I think still uh, trying to have some sort of structure to what you're doing. Um, if you're creating it from scratch, it's a little harder, but um, I think it's better to work, work with someone or, or follow a program that's like, not just a bunch of random like high intensity exercises put together in a circuit. That's really, that's like a lot for people right now. It's really stressful to your nervous system. Um, a lot of the stuff in there, like all the jumping and burpees, it's not necessarily a good fit for a lot of people. Um, so I think focusing on like really basic exercises like squats and pushups and dead bugs um, and making sure first of all that your form is really good. Um, and then you can get creative with different training techniques like you can slow down the tempo. You can add a pause. Maybe you do have a backpack that you can fill with books and you can use that as a weight. Um, and then like, I do think some equipment is helpful. Like if people want to buy a couple small things like a band or like the furniture sliders, but you don't necessarily need to have, have weights. You just need to find ways to make these basic exercises more challenging and interesting. And um, yeah, it's, it takes a little bit of creativity but there's a lot of stuff that you can do. And if you're not sure how to do it, I would seek out someone that can help you do it. Mm -hmm. Most of us have a lot of stuff on our plates right now. So. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, where, if people wanted to connect with you, where's the best way to connect? So I'm pretty active on, on Instagram and Facebook. So Facebook, is just my name, Caroline Juster. Uh, I have a business page, Caroline Juster fitness, but it's easier to connect with me on my personal page. Instagram is just my name at Caroline Juster. Um, and then if people want um, like more specific information, then go to my website, which is carolinejusterfitness.com. Um, and I, they can join that email list I mentioned where they can get those workouts from home um, and they don't have to do that work themselves. Um, I also have, which may be helpful for runners, I have a, a free ebook that's called Squat and Deadlift School where I kind of walk people through those progressions on how to learn to hit binge, how to squat with good form, um, lots of different exercise variations and things so that you can um, do those exercises safely and, and they'll actually help you with your running instead of making you feel worse. So those are two things that I would recommend for people. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds that at home workout sounds amazing and just appropriate for right now. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks Jacqueline.